You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 330 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, today joined by Fosma Mood and Seth Miller, and special guest, Jaspreet Travels. Hi, Jaspreet. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, you're you're a customer experience uh, employee in an airline. We're going to leave the name out. Um, and you specifically come here to talk to us today about... Uh, Much more book. important things. Yeah, a, a book you've written. And uh, the book is called, uh, is it Aya? And Avi and Aya and Avi's airplane adventure. Is that I? I want to make sure I get names right. I like to get names right. Yep, Aya and Avi's airplane adventure. And so one of the interesting things about the name is I picked some really common cultural names. So there are a bunch of different pronunciations out there for the name. Okay, yeah. What uh, what inspired you to write this? So the inspiration behind my book was basically just quite simply, I wanted to write a book that I wanted to have when I was younger. So to no one's surprise, I've been a lifelong diehard aviation geek. And I was thinking about some of the books in my childhood that I really enjoyed reading. And to be honest, they weren't really ab geeky enough for me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I wanted to write a book because I always kept saying to myself, oh, there should be a, an Ab Geeks children's book. And I was waiting for someone to write it. And then eventually I was just having some conversations with some friends. And they were like, no, if it's not out there, you need to be the one to do it. And then I was thinking of some other aspects of children's books that I had when I was younger. So my family comes from a South Asian background. And thinking to a lot of the books that I had when I was a kid, I never really had any children's books that had South Asian representation or really any minority representation or aviation representation. So I just thought to myself, I'm not going to wait around for someone to do this. And I had a little bit more free time during quarantine. And this ended up turning into my little quarantine side project that originally I gave myself a goal of finishing it within a month. And this was last March. And I learned the hard way how complicated and long uh, this book is. <laughs> did, did you? Did I, you, I, you oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, okay, I'm going to go. Is this just big airline trying to make more people fly? Is that what this is? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I see, Don't answer I that can... question. That was actually completely ridiculous. Stephen, what did you have something serious? Well, I, I wanted to know. So, did you actually? Because this is a children's book, and it's 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 a you know uh, kind of in a, it's it's a colored you know what, what would we call this uh, uh, and not animated. What's the word I'm looking for here? Oh, like a cartoon. Style it's kind of it's it's kind of cartoon style. Did you did you do the drawings? So I worked with a really great third party illustrator to work on those, and so they were really great to work with. And uh, they were able to give me all of the rights to it and everything. So it was a really great relationship that I was able to develop. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, the, the drawings are fantastic. Like, it's kind of like it is the perfectly stylized version of yeah. what, what you experience going to the airport, right? And I was really amazed with it just because I am not an artist. And so I didn't have any good directions. I gave sketches of what I wanted things to look like. And they were just stick figures. And I was just hoping <laughs> was anything, better figure, than, yeah. Yeah, anything better than a stick figure I was amazed with to get back. And honestly, I was super, super impressed with the quality of it. And thankful that it helped add to the story a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So with, I mean, you spoke a little bit about the diversity of characters in here, but there's there's also some diversity in parentage, right? In in this book, um, it's it features a a uh, gay uh, set of parents. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was another thing that I really wanted to focus on when writing the book was just bringing more representation out there to just show kids that if you can see it, you can become it, mm -hmm. and just 
show representation that I never had when I was younger. So that was a really big goal behind the book. And I wanted to make it sort of subtle where it wasn't the focus of the book. It was just something that was there that no one questioned and something that just exists in this universe because that's the way I want it to be in real life. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing some of my research about children's books, I found some really crazy and surprising statistics. There was a study done by a children's book association a couple years ago, and it noted that there were nine times more books written about talking animals talking cars, talking potatoes and the like, than kids' books that were written featuring an LGBT character. <laughs> and then if you look at any like minority and typically underrepresented group and added them all up together, the number of books written about like talking animals and talking potatoes still outweighed all of that. So once I found that out, I looked at this as being a really good thing to have in the marketplace just to increase repre- representation and show kids that they can be, they can imagine themselves in these situations and they can be anything they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I also like, there was a kind of, a, there's a subtle, uh, another subtle nod. It's the, the pilot is female. Oh yeah. So that was actually something I was talking with a friend about. So only about 5% of pilots out there today are female. And one of the other things that I didn't immediately pick up on this, but one of my friends had told me uh, she had never seen a female Asian American captain before. Huh. And so I was really excited to be able to have a book where I could help showcase that to show hopefully all of the younger next generation of app geeks that they can be anything they want to be. And if they wanted to be a pilot, they have the ability to do that or do any of the other really great jobs out there in the industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's the target age? I'm just trying to figure out which of my cousins I need to buy one for. (laughs) So the target age is those that are young and young at heart. So everyone, but it was written for kids around four to eight years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And then also, I mainly wrote this book mostly for myself. I wasn't expecting to realistically sell any. I just wanted the kids' book that I wanted when I was younger. But it was an interesting process going through and writing it and all of the revisions. One of the early pieces of feedback I got from my mentor was that no one really wanted a kids' book about two kids having a fictional map in their room, creating a hypothetical root network and calculating yields of this hypothetical <laughs> root network. Really? Wait, no. I'm like, I know there's a market for everything and that there is a market for that i can imagine like two total people that would buy that myself included but i was like someone was like because when i said i wanted to write the kids book that i wanted to have when i was younger someone was like do that but don't make it exactly what you wanted (laughs) (laughs) but like to be fair that is still in my mind and that might be something that comes about but the the, the sequel they got a new friend who likes to do yield planning yeah it's that's an exciting topic to me or like Aya and avi schedule their first wide body aircraft sea check (laughs) (laughs) how's that not realistic it's like the perfect hits book like what four to eight year old doesn't want to learn about that You mean they take the whole thing apart? Running an airline for a couple months now, a couple years, it's the perfect timing. The plane needs to come in for maintenance. (laughs) But that is actually something I've been considering is I got, I originally intended this to be a one and done type book, but like as I've heard from several people once it launched today of people saying, oh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. It makes a really awesome present and people buying it for all their nieces and nephews. One of the other things that got me thinking is maybe just using this as a platform to showcase some of the other jobs in the industry. like engineering, management type roles, and other positions that people wouldn't normally consider. Because in a lot of my experience within aviation and transportation, I've noticed that people just immediately jump to like whatever the most visible job is. I'll get like the, are you a pilot? Are you a flight attendant? No one really thinks about the diversity of the opportunities that are available within the industry. One of the things I love most about airlines is if you can just think of any random job that you want, the airline and aviation industry probably has some form of that, which is a really exciting opportunity. And I think exposed 
exposing kids to that at a younger age could create more awareness in those types of careers and hopefully ultimately more interest for the industry. Yeah, I definitely would have enjoyed knowing those things more as a kid and even, you know, growing up into the part where, you know, started thinking about what I wanted to do with my life because... I have sort of fallen into the industry, although obliquely and not entirely, um, but didn't really think much of it other than, you know, the pilot and flight attendant type thing, because, you know, we were lucky I got to fly as a kid, but it was still, that was what you saw. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like how I was. Like, I didn't know there was all these opportunities in an office or in a, under the wing or all the stuff that it takes to, to really run an airline, because no one tells you that stuff. You just show up and you get on a plane, right? So it's kind of magical in that way. <laughs> it is a little bit. Um just read the, the the book. Also, you are donating the proceeds from the book? Oh, yeah. So I am working with a charitable organization called Rainbow Railroad. And they're a really fascinating organization. And what they do is they help LGBTQI individuals living in fear of prosecution, torture, murder in areas and countries where they might not be safe and help them travel in to other areas where they are safe and help them start a new life. And I thought it was a really great cause, and it did somewhat align with the topic of the book. And I thought it had a really good synergy and partnership. Mm -hmm. So I made an initial $250 donation to the organization to celebrate the launch, and 20% of all profits from every book sold will be going to that organization. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, and I think... Um, in addition to obviously buying copies for my nieces and nephews that fit the target demographics, um, we will also uh, match that donation uh, to the Rainbow Railroad. So, Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, Surprise. it's a really great organization. <laughs> <laughs> that was not something that we had entirely planned, but uh, <laughs> in the background chat here, just... Uh, We're doing it live. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I'm sure, I'm sure they will love that. Like, every dollar counts. And it's not typically, like, the first organization a lot of folks think of, like, when it comes to LGBT. So getting more awareness out there is really great. And I appreciate that so much. That'll be really awesome. Absolutely. And so can people... Do they just go to your website to, to buy the book? Or do they go to Amazon? What's, what's the best way for people to get their hands on this book oh yeah so currently the book is only available on amazon uh if you just search aya and avi's airplane adventure on amazon i also have a website aya avi airplane with links to buy the book it's currently only available in paperback form but i'm working on getting a hardcover copy and an ebook version of this out there very shortly are you going to be selling signed copies as well at some point that's the goal. I would eventually love to do a book signing, hopefully at an airport somewhere or some <laughs> AvGeek location. Or maybe you can just spot me outside of the LAX in and out with just a bunch of copies of this book. Say, bring, bring, bring a few copies to uh, Dorkfest in September. I'm sure you'll do good business. Oh, <laughs> not a bad idea. I, I'm not joking at all. Uh. I think I think we're I think most of us are planning to be there. Yeah, that's my birthday weekend, and I was already joking on Twitter with Cranky Flyer that that's basically my birthday weekend plan. <laughs> yeah, I love it. love it. For those who don't know, uh, Dorkfest slash LAX spot, well, I forget, the NYC Aviation's hashtag is way too long, and I always forget it. Uh, so Brett Snyder, Cranky Flyer, who we've had on the show before, and then the NYC Aviation folks do a have now sort of combined forces and do a weekend plane spotting, uh, very casual, nothing particularly formal. Um, I think the NYC Aviation guys organize a dinner or a brunch or something like that also, like, buy-in. But uh, hang out at the uh, In-N-Out or across the, at the park across the street from the In-N-Out on Sepulveda at LAX on a Saturday morning and chill and watch airplanes and enjoy like-minded avgeekery and idiocy. And so it's coming back uh, September 18th, I believe, this year. What, is that close Saturday? Yep. Um so look forward to that. Uh, it's post Yum Kipper for those of you concerned about that sort of thing. You can still get there in plenty of time. Um, <laughs> and you'll get to see Jess Breed and buy a signed copy and help celebrate his birthday. 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really fun weekend. <laughs> um, window or aisle? Is that a question? <laughs> okay, fair game. Um, window seat. <laughs> this is a travel podcast. There's some big oh, travel-related things going on. Oh, true. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, I'm like ultimate av geek. It's window seat 100%. Yeah. There's some people that who like sitting in the aisle for some reason. I don't know. Uh, Do they lose some ab geek points for that? <laughs> Credibility. Yeah. Like, I think they just like to be able to escape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> so this we take the exit window, and then you can escape out. No? No. No. I, I, I can end badly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Didn't someone do that already? <laughs> Um, I, I have a question. So as COVID hopefully winds down, what's your first big travel plan that you have, Jasper? So I just really want to get on a wide body again. It's been over a year since I've been on a wide body. My last one was a 767. Really itching to just get on a mainline wide body aircraft. But then hopefully I really just want to go somewhere tropical with a beach. One of my favorite places to relax is actually Fiji. Uh, my family originally comes from there and it's a really beautiful country. And I always love going down there and just relaxing at some of the resorts or finding the beaches or driving around the island. So I'm hoping to go back there, go to some of the local markets there and do some more exploring awesome yeah i wonder are they open are they open to tourists right now i don't believe so i think yeah i'm waiting for news on when they open up but as soon as the world opens back up again hoping to go back out there <laughs> that's awesome yeah i i think uh you know one of the things i was going to ask is what's your favorite i mean you said wide bodies but what's your favorite plane do you have do you have a favorite was yeah, the one that inspired you as a kid that like you were, became obsessed with that brought this whole industry insanity on you so as a kid i used my family used to travel to and from san francisco all the time so when we would go to sfl i would always see the just enormous 747s as many app geeks have been inspired by that but that really caught my attention as a kid that thing was just so massive and i always wanted to get on a long-haul international flight on one of them the first time i did was a really amazing experience and that was the plane that started my love of aviation currently today i'm a huge fan of the 787 the 787-10 10 is one of my favorite aircraft it's just it feels so comfortable i've done some really long flights on it where i don't feel jet lagged or fatigued after the flight which has been really amazing and then i'm just always amazed by the length of the airplane and just watching that thing take off and seeing the wings flex and always get really excited every time i see that (laughs) the wing flex is incredible (laughs) definitely what are the questions you got seth um i I can't ask any of them yeah yeah, that's okay. The, 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 sorry, the journalist in me is kicking in, and I want to I want to press him for information about you know the real world. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question I do have though is you know if since you're a beach destination person, do you do you have any feelings about how uh, you know the CDC is now saying people who are fully vaccinated can travel? Uh, and if you don't have any feelings, that's totally fine. You don't have to answer the question. Yeah, so I I've been incredibly busy and I haven't had time to see the news to know more about that yet. Yeah, so yeah. I don't fully have an opinion on it. It's just no, it's moment. totally okay. Um, yeah, anything else you want to tell us about the book? I think we covered most of it. Basically, it was the book that I wanted when I was a kid, minus the yield planning fictional route map. <laughs> but 
I'm excited to get this out there. It was something that I didn't intend to be something that was big. I, it was mostly for just myself. I thought, oh, I was going to sell only one or two copies. It was just going to be low key and just mostly to tell myself I was able to go through the publishing process of a book as a personal goal. But the response to it has been really overwhelming. And it's currently actually on Amazon right now. It's in the top 10 kids books about airplanes, which I wasn't expecting. I started the morning being a couple hundred down the list. And to see it already make the top 10 has been really inspiring and something that I never thought would happen. That's awesome. That's awesome news. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to go buy this book, check out Amazon, check out the website. Uh, Jesper, thank you again for, for coming on and, and telling us about the book and uh, just your love of aviation. Uh, we, yeah, appreciate- we can also include a copy of the, we'll put a link to buy it in the show notes also. So if people are having trouble remembering the URLs. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I always enjoy talking app geek talk. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And uh, for the rest of our listeners, we'll be back without just Bree so we can actually talk about airlines behind his back uh, and not embarrass him or not put him in an awkward position and get him fired more to the point uh, very soon. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, and we're back to episode 330. Uh, let's do a little follow up from our last show. Yes, we were so excited talking with Ed about uh, American Airlines flying to Dulles from Austin that we forgot, uh, or skipped over the perimeter rule. I always of, forget of which DCA. City, yeah. Of DCA, yeah. yeah. We were, I always forget which cities in Texas are inside and outside of it. And also there's the, the the DCA rule is shorter than LaGuardia, right? I believe so, yeah. It's like 1250 versus 1500 miles or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it makes it harder. But yeah, so if American wanted to fly uh, to DCA from Austin, it would need to use one of its perimeter exemption slots. And those are pretty lucrative elsewhere. Do they? I mean, they're using one at uh, Phoenix, I'm guessing. And- yeah, they use it for Phoenix. They had uh, LA. I'm sure they still do. Because um, I've flown that, actually. Uh, they have a bunch. Yeah. Uh, but- so they don't want to give those up. I don't think what else they would have. You're going to make me do research while we're talking. Hang on. <laughs> they, don't, they don't. I mean, the LA is the only thing on the West Coast. They they don't, have, I don't think did they, they have San Diego at one point? They did. That, that, was, that was pre-merger. Okay. So when they gave up the slots at the merger time, they gave up San Diego. Did they have to give up perimeter slots? Probably. Because Alaska started um, Seattle and Portland. Yeah, I think they were forced to. Yeah. Hang on. I'm querying the database. Uh, querying the database. There's a, there's a lot of conditions I got to put on this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, 1,250 miles, departing <laughs> DCA, flying on AA, uh, putting Thank a typo you. in the syntax and not actually getting the query right. You'd think you're Here an geek or something. Yeah, Las Vegas service? Really? Oh, dropped that as well. It's back in the schedule as of today, which means they're flying it, um, in theory. Uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Phoenix, that's it right now. That's hmm. the only published ones right now. Yeah, I can't see them. I can't see them giving up Los Angeles, Phoenix, or Las Vegas, actually. For- yeah, they, well, it's, it also could just be a number of frequencies, right? They do multiple daily flights on some of those. Mm, yeah. So. Doesn't Alaska still fly DC, LAX? So I wonder if one of them will stop. And so does Delta. Them. Yeah, but I wonder yeah. in between AA and AS if they, one of them will drop it now that they're, they move forward with it, getting closer. Let's, let's not jump ahead in the topics, all right? We're getting there. Well, yes and no. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, that's a slightly different topics. Actually, I want to, I didn't, I hadn't put this on the list, but, um, JetBlue, there's an interesting sort of nuance also tied to the JetBlue American partnership, which we've talked about before, how the other airlines, especially Spirit and the LCCs are protesting that relationship and the lack of true divestiture of any slots, really. It's a very small number. Mm-hmm relative to what they're getting. Um, and there was an interesting sort of flurry of filings late uh, last week, by the time you all hear this, on the first and the second, about the requests to by American and JetBlue to adjust their services to Ecuador, which doesn't seem like, like, who cares, kind of in some ways. But Ecuador has very limited number of frequencies allotted for the U.S. There's only like 120 weekly flights, maybe, 
permitted. And so, um, and they all have to be approved, like the airport and everything has to be approved on both sides. And American wants to move its service to Guayaquil, uh, which is the coastal town and the bigger sort of commercial industrial town on the west coast of Ecuador, to from Dallas to Miami. And I think they'll be at something like six daily flights or something or somehow I got to check the numbers exactly. Um, and then JetBlue wants to move its Fort Lauderdale flights to JFK, where it currently splits one daily flight each seven and seven and it wants to go to 14 weekly at JFK. And in the filings, both American and JetBlue are claiming that's where the market for the service is. And so like American claiming that there really is increased market demand in South Florida, and that's why they have to move their flights. While JetBlue is saying the market demand has actually shifted to New York, so we're moving out of South Florida, <laughs> raised some eyebrows. And Southwest in its filing was has basically accused them of exceeding the um, permitted sort of range of what the alliance allows, because the alliance doesn't allow them to fully coordinate schedules and everything it only allows them to i think it's they can code share but not and to a limited extent coordinate some of the slots and stuff but here's this great quote spirit believes the timing and circumstances of this request must be assessed in the context of the broader public interest questions raised by spirit other airlines airports and consumer groups concerning the anti-competitive impact in new york of the JetBlue and northeast alliance specifically the timing of JetBlue's proposed change suggests the two carriers are coordinating out scope outside the scope of the alliance you okay Foss? yeah Okay. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're really, uh, spirit is really upset, um, about this to, you know, saying that both of them quote are trying to better match the current demand for us Ecuador service. But like, obviously the move raises obvious questions of either explicit or tacit coordination. Um, and then also notes that in July, 2020, Alaska airlines announced expanded service to Los Angeles from Eugene, Oregon, Fresno, California, and Mansfield, California. Within a week, American updated its schedules to exit those routes. Hmm. even though that level of coordination is not officially permitted. And so, right, this has always been a, something that airlines struggle with and sort of, you know, spirit of the law, letter of the law, and the optics of whatever changes they make. But I, I, I would say spirit's situation sounds pretty decent. You know, their, their position sounds legit at this point to me. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the question is, how do you prevent this, right? If they can stop, that from, stop them from making those changes, but clearly there's some back... It, well, I can't say clearly, but apparently there, there might be some back you know, channel communications. So how do you prevent them from doing that? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't think you can prove it is the problem. And as, and I just to be clear, JetBlue is moving its Fort Lauderdale Quito service, not Guayaquil. Um, I know they're moving Fort Lauderdale Quito to operate a second JFK Guayaquil. That's what it is. Um, and while Jet, while American is trying to add more uh, flights to uh, Miami. Anyway, uh, can you prove it? No, n- no one can either direction unless someone does something stupid and accidentally CCs like a reporter or the DOT when sending an email that they really shouldn't be sending. I mean, the, well, if someone was to create a lawsuit, then you could do discovery. Right. But can the government do discovery without having to file a lawsuit? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I would say probably not unless there's uh, – could argue that you know, airlines have been required to produce sort of not quite discovery, but you know records and analysis of various things when merger – right? Like if there's talk of a merger, talk of an alliance, anything like that, uh, they are typically required to sort of produce analysis of what the markets are. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get published, right? There's a lot of stuff that stays confidential in those dockets. Um, from the airlines that the government sort of demands, um, and then parts of it do stay public. So, and yeah, I, no, no, the short answer is no. I don't think anyone will be able to prove it, but uh, it's interesting. Eastern Airlines, for what it's worth, has also objected to JetBlue moving its flights um, because it doesn't have uh, it only has two slots at JFK that it can use to Ecuador weekly, and because if because JFK is so crowded, it has shitty times. And it notes that when JetBlue moves, or either them or Spirit noted that when JetBlue moves its uh, route to JFK. If it moves the additional flights up there, it will have good times and might even use slots traded to it by American for those good timed flights. 
which to be fair is exactly what Americans said it was going to do with its slots with JetBlue is give it, you know, better time slots for services that JetBlue is operating and maybe take some back for evening flights to Europe or something like that, that JetBlue can give it back one or two prime departure slots for Europe. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if wonder if Eastern and Spirit will kind of decide to, to open maybe a, a lawsuit against them. Could be interesting. Yeah, there's there's still this sort of ongoing protest in the DOT dockets um, that I don't think will actually go anywhere. Uh, but you never know. The, the certainly we haven't seen a ton of action one way or another indicators of what um, major activity is going to happen and sort of policy policy type activity from the DOT. Right. The other one to consider is will. You know, they haven't applied yet, but North Atlantic Airways, which is the successor to Norwegian, same planes. Uh, they just got leases on nine of the planes uh, to fly transatlantic is a Norwegian airline flagged in Ireland where they're registering all their aircraft. And when Norwegian Air UK launched surface, and that was the 737 MAX transatlantic routes. And I think they had a couple of 77s as well under that subsidiary. It was, again, it was an Irish airline operating out of Ireland in the UK, and it was considered flag of convenience by uh, U.S. airlines, U.S. labor unions, and some members of Congress. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, typically those applications to fly from the U.S., you know, to and from the U.S., from Europe, take six weeks maybe to get approved. And that one took three years and had multiple lawsuits, you know, protests and filings, and I think maybe lawsuits around it. And all of them eventually cleared. And the DFD was like, sorry, guys, this is what, you know, the bilateral treaty says we, you know, is it doesn't, I think that the sort of it was the interpretation was even if we wanted to, we can't stop it. So we have to approve it. Um, and it's an interesting challenge, but North Atlantic is going to need to apply for similar rights, having already announced its intention to fly nonstop to the U.S. from the other side of the Atlantic this fall or this winter, this coming winter. And uh, Representative Fazio, who uh, from Oregon is the head of the Transportation Subcommittee in the mm-hmm. House, if I remember correctly, or committee or subcommittee, whatever, he has already said explicitly he expects the DOT to reject. He wants he's calling on the DOT to reject any application of flag of convenience. So, but it worked out so well for the Northern Why fight it? Because along the way, it detracts from he, – he, he says there's a labor issue, right, of the, trying to – the flag of convenience is to seek out less stringent labor rules, um, putting aside the part where the – at least the last time around, they actually hired people in the U.S. and allowed them to – you know, there, there's some back and forth that way. I, I understand where he's coming from. It's But it's also like if you're going to allow Aer Lingus to fly here, how do you not allow another Irish airline? Um, I mean, but that's capitalism. <laughs> but which is, is not always a good thing, as we have seen many, many ex- examples of. Um but uh, so that's part of it. Um, and then the other part of it was um, it's bad for the U.S. airlines and the U.S. jobs that they support along the way because it artificially depresses fares, which is good for the traveler, but not good for the businesses and the employees. And so it's that's the argument made. Are we serving the public or are we serving the corporations? Oh, that's another question. <laughs> that's, that's, it might be a little too deep for the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, look at the CARES Act and you tell me. Uh, <laughs> well, I do not agree with the CARES Act. <laughs> part so let's 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 change topics here. Um, the CDC has changed their guidance. We mentioned this briefly during uh, the interview with Jaspreet. Um, the CDC has changed their guidance, and they are now saying for those individuals who are fully vaccinated, uh, they are free to travel and encouraged. You know, not encouraged, but not encouraged. That's this, so. It's the, the statement was, if I remember correctly, they are they can travel without creating additional risk to themselves. Is sort of the phrase that was used, and a lot of the reporting dropped the to themselves part. Saying it's you know it's safe for them to travel, um, exp- like just full stop, and that's not entirely the situation. Um, there has been some other information issued earlier last week about if you're vaccinated, you probably are not a carrier and probably aren't going to infect others. So that's also contributing to the sort of bullishness on increased travel at this point. Um, 
But at the same time, because caseloads are still spiking or increasing, maybe not spiking, but are still increasing across the country, after issuing the press release, the CDC in a uh, press conference was, uh, when asked, clarified, but we still are not recommending travel right now. Yeah. So, and, so and I, interesting I, blend. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I mean, that's definitely an interesting uh, way of, of kind of saying, oh, people can travel who are fully vaccinated, but we don't recommend it. I think unfortunately people will take that with a grain of salt and say, well, they said we can travel. And no one cared anyways. People were, well, yeah, you're going a million and a half people a day now going through TSA security. I guarantee not all of them are vaccinated. Well, New York, also, New York also lifted their uh, program so they're no longer chasing people at the airport. Are they? They're no, they, they got rid of it. As of yesterday. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked up, I looked up kind of like where the travel restrictions were for New York and I, I'd seen that, you know, they had just started implementing if you were vaccinated, you didn't have to do the quarantine. Um, and for 90 days, like if, if you've been vaccinated within the last 90 days. And that's um, supposed to be a sliding scale as there's more data about how long the va- if the vaccine really works, they're expected to extend that 90 day number. Yeah. Yeah. But now if they're just not even going to chase people, uh, you know, it's like everything's back to normal, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I had an interesting conversation on Twitter where, as someone noted, I might have had a smart idea, but clearly stated it poorly and made an ass out of myself. So sorry, guys. Uh, not to you guys, to the people I annoyed on Twitter, um, which may also be you. Uh, but there was an interesting conversation like about the idea of if it's, you know, if I'm vaccinated and I can't be transmitting it to other people, is there any reason for me still to not travel right now? Mm. Um, and I'm still sort of a little torn on the topic. Um, a, I'm not fully vaccinated yet. I did get my first shot. Yay. Um, yeah, shoulders definitely a little sore, but completely worth it. But I the the situation I come keep coming back to is we still are nowhere close to the point where the entire country has had the opportunity to get vaccinated yet. And even though I, I don't expect that everybody will, and I think that's going to frustrate me for some period of time, but if the people and especially people in sort of the younger people who are and healthier people who are working frontline hospitality type jobs haven't had a chance to get vaccinated yet, even if it's I can't transmit to them, if I now, if me and other vaccinated people who are quote unquote safe, add on to the existing load of travelers that were already out there, the increased demand is going to require increased staffing. And that means, you know, if there's an extra bartender now sitting there because they went from 50% seating to 100% seating or something like that, and there's more people actually showing up, I still know that all the people traveling aren't vaccinated and that there's a decent chance that the people working aren't vaccinated. And so it's creating a situation where there's extra increased risk there in a way. And I, I know it's a little roundabout and may not be completely rational, but... I'm still I, sort of I, holding I off on waiting until everybody has a chance to be vaccinated before I certainly start looking at discretionary leisure travel. I still have to travel for work once a month or so when I'm doing it. But, but I, I think, I think too, though, like, we're, I, I have this fear we're not going to reach even herd immunity with the vaccines, unfortunately. Um, but that is a real risk and that also creates, means a risk of more variants. Yes. And, and I, and I mean, what I, what I have, what I find ironically depressing is the states that have the fewest vaccines or vaccinations and lifted most of the restrictions are seeing more herd immunity because more more people have had COVID, which is pathetic, but good, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, right? The more people who can get it and survive it. Yeah, I mean, but they also, what they don't mention is how many people died in that state, right? Like, it, there was a cost. <laughs> but I mean, some of the, you know, I haven't dug into it, but some of the per capita numbers aren't any worse than any of the other states where they did have no, that's, I mean, that's true. I think, I think too, like there are some cases, I mean, it's, we can get into the, the, the numbers about it. I, I just think that like, in these states now, like where they're finding people who have had COVID for a long time, right? They're, they've had the effects of COVID, the, the long haulers. They're finding that the vaccine is actually helping some of those people because it, they don't know why, but I mean, they've, they're finding that, but some of these people are still suffering in these states. And I mean, and, and while other people are like, well, I feel fine. I, I, there's a cost to all of this. I mean, there is a, there's a real cost and it's not monetary. It's, it's humans. So 
I, I'm just, I'm kind of torn. I'm with you, Seth. I understand. Like you're saying, you're putting more people at risk by traveling or by going to a restaurant or, you know, by doing all these things, you're creating more demand, which means that demand has to be met. Um, I, I get that. I, I really want to travel. Like I'm so, I think I share with you guys privately on a chat that I, I just want to get on an airplane. I don't care. I, I don't care where I go. It could be anywhere. Um, but I, I just can't really bring myself to do it either unnecessarily. So finding an empty flight these days is and that's the other thing right well let's talk about that so you you know you mentioned tsa numbers 1.5 million people through through airports yeah um but air and airlines are saying their numbers of de- their demand is going up 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 yeah. uh and this is great but what people are talking about is yield right like the, the fares that people are paying are dirt cheap i mean i'm seeing 100 round trip cross country i think it depends on market it does. A lot of the stuff out of Newark, particularly the West Coast, is not cheap. Yeah. Yeah, but also New- Newark capacity is down massively relative to some of the other markets. That's fair. I mean, there's a lot more capacity in the southern half of the states than the I mean, you like look at like uh, you know Texas to Florida, Denver to Florida. So I mean, I was surprised because I mean, if demand is so high, uh, the I mean the fares don't reflect that necessarily, uh, and the planes are going out full. But, but I think you have, I think the thing that is not being captured in is the ULCC used the last year as an opportunity to grow fare with supply. And that's coming at the expense of it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I mean, so, I mean, when you look at the majors, when you look like in United, they can't be making money on $125 fares from the West Coast of Florida. It's just, it's not possible. Correct. Um, well, it's, except remember that the federal government is still paying all the salaries. No, that's true. But I mean, this idea though, like, I, I think that's the, that's the fallacy, right? That like the, everyone's like, oh, the airlines are doing so great because their planes are full. Doesn't that doesn't that full planes no, doesn't re, mean right? Re, well, yes. Well, how are we measuring the rebound and everyone? You know, so the conversation about is it really going to take till twenty twenty four and whatever? And as was previously estimated, and you know, what's it look like? A remember that the U.S. is not the world. Um, so there's something there to be said about like what the recovery looks like elsewhere. But then B passenger numbers and airline revenues or uh, revenue per mile or any of those metrics um, are going to diverge for some time, and it will take much longer for yields or profits, if you will, to come back rather than just demand. Make it up in volume. Uh, Air Canada and Transat. Uh, the merger is wah, wah, done wah, wah. or not happening? Done. Not happening. Why? Because Europe was like, hey, guys, this doesn't seem very good for passengers. You know, like you're actually getting rid of all the competitiveness, all the competitive uh, access to Canada. So maybe we don't like that. Why? Um, why does, not all of it because there's still WestJet. But uh, why does Europe get a say? Because... Air Transat had a huge leisure, especially in the summer, leisure traffic uh, operation into Europe. Mm. And so they can basically say, yeah, you actually aren't allowed to fly here anymore with that merger. And um, the statement from Air Canada basically, um, I've got it here, uh, the acquisition was conditional on various regulatory authorities, including the European Commission, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Air Canada offered an enhanced, a significant package of remedies, which went beyond the commercially reasonable efforts required of Air Canada under the arrangement agreement, and whatever has been traditionally accepted by the EC in previous airline merger cases. Following recent discussions with the EC, it has become evident, however, that the EC will not approve the acquisition based on the currently offered remedy package. And so, just like, remember, the U.S. wanted uh, LaGuardia, wanted Delta to divest eight slot pairs at LaGuardia for the WestJet joint venture. Um, this time around, it's uh, it's Air Canada. Um and what's interesting about is that to me is when they when the uh, merger was approved by Canadian regulators, they did this sort of uh, it's a number of conditions, including slot divestitures. But the, the slot divestitures was super weird in the uh, Canadian one. And do I have it here? Um, basically, um, they specifically identified routes and then said, if you want to operate in this, if any new airline over the next ten years wants to operate in this route. Air Canada, you have to give them the slots. Hmm. 
and it's uh you know Montreal to Paris was double daily service through that uh process while Bordeaux from Montreal was a single summer departure each week because that was all that was being flown previously so it it was it wasn't it was trying to in some ways force the competition to remain in the markets which is arguably good for competitors but like if you're an upstart airline do you think Montreal Bordeaux is going to be the market you pick to like get started on your, your flagship yeah yeah so you're, even adult, you know, even double daily montreal paris um it could be you know maybe that works a little better but like it was a really interesting way they set up the divestitures originally um and how they structured it, it was literally there's a huge table of like for this route this many number of flights seasonal or not it was and based entirely on what was operating before so and there's other things like they had to air canada would be required to allow lounge access like at, a, at market rates or whatever, but like if if the new upstart airline didn't have a lounge in the terminal and wanted to be able to offer its passengers flying to Bordeaux lounge access, Air Canada would have to let them buy in hmm. uh, wow. and allow them to accrue aeroplane points. Wow! So I bet, but only I bet. on the routes. So like if you're Flair, who's the ULCC in Canada and clearly was never going to do any of this, so it's an easy one to make up. Um, they they could fly connecting passengers through Montreal, feed them on their you know seven thirty sevens, and lease one of the old Norwegian seven eight sevens now and run that to Paris. You could on Flare collect aeroplane points, but only on the flight from Montreal to Paris, not on the feeder flight from wherever in Canada to Montreal. Hmm. It was so, it was all super weird, um, and mm-hmm. I can sort of understand why the European regulators didn't think it was enough, but it's not enough. Yeah, um, in twelve million, oh, by the way, twelve and a half million Canadian dollars cost their Canada to walk away. Wow, you know, I mean, just just pocket change. Um, yeah, it sort of is in the opposite. Yeah, in the opposite side of things, uh, Alaska is now part of One World. You excited? I, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I I had to book my last like. Are you One World Emerald now or Sapphire? Whatever the highest one is. <laughs> I don't emerald. Know. Emerald is it Emerald? Yeah, Emerald. Okay, so yeah, I'm an Emerald. Uh, Foz actually sent me an annoyed note the other day because we we booked uh, some Emirates flights before we were unable to to do that anymore, and uh, he was unable to choose seats on one of the Amer. Is it the American segment or the Alaska segment? The Alaska segment. Like the the, <laughs> the economy, like the nice economy seats, because he's not a 75k. So sorry, oh, Foz. Well. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, well, and there's some reciprocity coming for American and other one world elites on all that stuff on Alaska Airlines. Yeah, you know, it's a little strange. It's not like day one they had some of this stuff ready to go. Like that, that's what's strange to me. Like it's kind of like, oh, that they did or did not have it. That they didn't have it. Which bits aren't weren't ready? Well, I mean, like you can't book partners or, or like revenue tickets on Alaska. You know, on partners. So that's it's not possible. You you, you put in an international destination. Uh, it's not going to wrap you on Iberia, whoever. But that's that's they said that's it's not a lot. Okay, but for a revenue ticket, that's not an alliance thing. That's either a joint venture or a decision to sell I don't tickets on other plate. <laughs> <laughs> that very well may be true, but I'm just yeah. Um, that's not necessarily an alliance thing, right? Like the, the alliance doesn't require um, you know one partner to sell revenue seats on the other. You know, there's the reward redemption, which, as I understand, it actually worked pretty well. I, I haven't seen much availability on anybody other than. Uh, Finair and Jow, which Jow was already there and Finair was already there. You I, 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 you saw Finair I did coach, of course. Oh, right. I'm like, <laughs> uh, but I was looking, I was looking for S7 because that's what I was like interested in. So I was like looking at strange routes like Vladivostok and uh, some other, some other locations and I couldn't find much. Um, so did I don't know. The, if did the system recognize the airport codes? It did CVVO. Yes. Okay. 
Never tell you when I booked right after uh, Turkish joined Star Alliance, I used some of my old U.S. Airways points, dividend miles, to book a domestic Turkey trip. And th- I called in because, you know, this is right in the old days where you call in, they ma- build all this pricing manually. And the person's like, oh, yeah, call us back in a couple of days and we'll go ahead and issue the tickets. Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, we got to load it in the system. Those destinations don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it was because, like, random small domestic Turkish airports weren't in the U.S. Airways, like, route database. <laughs> it was amazing. So like, yeah. not going to lose the seat. She's like, no, 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 they're there, and I can see the airport codes, but we can't do them by name. And she had this whole explanation. She's like, we just got to, someone's got to take care of something in the back end. It'll be done in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. it was Did a- it work? Did it work out? Oh, yeah. It's a great yeah, trip. That's good. Great yeah. flights. Uh-huh. I mean, I, the other things, I mean, they're, they're talking about upgrade reciprocity on, on American. I don't think that's coming, like, I think that's next, in the next few months. I don't, or at the gate right now, and then in the, in the like, you'll get it 72 hours out in the future. Um there's something about the advanced timing of it. Yeah. So an American elite on uh, Alaska Airlines. Uh, no, it can be processed in advance. Um, executive platinum members will be prioritized after MVP cold 75s in fair class and then by request date and time. Um, so that's working. The uh, uh, a companion benefit is coming later. Well, and the, uh, and the other way. So Alaska elites on American. Alaska leads on American. Uh, it's day of right now. It's day, day of. of. Okay. Yeah. And, the, so, and the, I mean, and I've talked about it on this show before, I think, but Alaska has a real issue when they price American segments as part of their itineraries. So, like, if they want to connect you through DFW because they can get you wherever you're trying to go, it, it's outrageous. I think it's ridiculous. It's like some kind of, I don't know if they're doing it as like a married segment or it just can't do the math and it just sells you full why. And that's why it's so expensive. Uh, but they got to fix that. To be fair, Alaska has problems their own connections. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, they do like to sell you East Coast to West Coast connections sometimes. So that's a different story. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited for it. I think it's, I think it's good. I hope, I hope it's good for Alaska. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I guess time will tell us what's. What's going to work? So, Delta is ending middle seat blocking. Well, yeah, not yep. anyone. Alaska still blocks it in their premium economy. Oh, that's but, right. That's right. Yeah, but that's it. Like not regular economy. So, so it's going away. I mean, I think, and Alaska is also allowing its members to earn uh, elite points and miles on award tickets. That's following Delta. No, that's that's what I, that's what I'm talking about. Delta. Oh, I thought you said Delta is doing. I thought Alaska is doing that. Yeah, I, sorry. I think it's Alaska. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Delta is allowing their elite members to uh, earn on award tickets, which I think is it's an interesting idea. Um, I th- with what they charge for those rewards, you would expect that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think that's an episode or a show, guys. Uh, for our bonus topic, we're going to talk about uh, the Max 8200 news um, and cramming more people in. And that, of course, will be available to our Patreon supporters, and it would be. A good, a good time, I think, to thank some of our recent uh, supporters who have joined. Michael Cote, Tobias Sherbaum, Chris Ladsky, and Michael Graven. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, I think it was organized, yeah. Uh, probably. Um, thanks, you all, for supporting us, and hope you enjoy the extra content. Yeah, and uh, for those of you wanting to follow us on Twitter, at ThoughtsLines, more dots, more lines.com. Uh, thanks for listening, and happy trials. Take care. Bye-bye.